Father, Son, and Spirit, in a season when our hearts are heavy with the reality of suffering and sickness and loneliness and joblessness, encourage our hearts today with the good news of your resurrection. Give us hope and remind us of the deeper magic that was unleashed when Jesus rose again and promised to come again to make all things new. Make us receptive to your good news this morning. In your name, Jesus. Amen. I saw a post on social media this week that said something to the effect of this. In the midst of this global pandemic, how can Christians possibly celebrate victory over death when more than 100,000 have died from the virus, millions are out of work, and millions more find themselves destitute and hopeless? I feel the pain of that statement, and I lament alongside those who have lost loved ones, uh, those whose lives have turned upside down, those who don't know if they'll have food or shelter today. And in the midst of this coronavirus, I think we are feeling more than ever the, the curse on all of creation. And, and the weight of that curse is heavy and it's, it's tragic. But rather than concluding, therefore, that celebrating resurrection is delusional, I'm here to proclaim to you this morning that celebrating resurrection is the most sane and necessary thing we could possibly do. The, the curse we experience is, is real and it hurts, but there is a magic deeper still. To use a phrase from C.S. Lewis, that's from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And in this story, Lucy and Susan are struggling to understand how Aslan could be alive after being killed by the White Witch on the stone table. And Aslan says, there is a magic deeper still, which she did not know. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time. But if she could have looked a little farther back into the stillness and the darkness before time dawned, she would have read there a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim who committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start moving backwards. Today we are celebrating that because of Jesus's resurrection, death is beginning to work backwards and new life is blooming far as the curse is found. Yes, the, the curse is still wreaking havoc on our world and death is still a tragic reality. But we've begun to hear and sing a new song that death is not the end and there is a whole new creation to come. Today we're ending a three-month-long series in the book of Mark and we end with Mark's account of Jesus' resurrection so if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Mark chapter 16. I'll be reading from the NIV translation, and we're going to start right at the top of the chapter, verse 1 of Mark 16. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome 
brought spices so they might go anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who is crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Now, if you're looking at a Bible, after this, you'll probably see some sort of note that says some of the earliest manuscripts don't include chapter 16, verses 9 to 20. And that's exactly right. The, the earliest manuscripts, the Greek manuscripts, don't include the rest of chapter 16. And based on other criteria for determining what is original and authentic, it is very likely that verses 9 to 20 were not written by Mark, but were actually a later edition. That doesn't mean that all the things mentioned in these verses didn't happen, but it's best not to consider these verses part of the inspired canon of Scripture. So Mark's account ends with the word afraid. And I think that's probably why some people chose to add things later on, because it's kind of a rough way of ending an account of Jesus's resurrection with this word afraid. But actually, it's what I love about Mark. I love his honesty and his vulnerability and the way he tells a story in this, in this very human way. And I, I love some of the details that Mark includes here as well. You know, the most important detail in this account and, and in the other Gospels of Jesus' resurrection is that there were three women who were the first witnesses. Here we see Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome, the same women that Mark mentions at the foot of the cross. And this is so significant because in first century Jewish culture, the testimony of women was not counted as credible witness. Like women could not testify in a court of law. Their, their voice didn't count. So if Mark was trying to make this story up, to, to make people feel better who thought Jesus was the Messiah, but he died. So if Mark was trying to fabricate an account of the resurrection to deal with the tragedy of Jesus's death, the last thing he would want to do is have women as the first witnesses of the resurrection. But he does, and, and it's amazing. Because like here at every point in the biblical story, it is those who are discounted and marginalized in society that God places in a central role to move his story forward, uh, to be his, his hands and feet. And these women, they're arriving at the tomb early, and they're hoping to find someone to unroll the stone that cover the tomb in order to anoint Jesus's body, but they find the stone rolled away, and they walk inside, and they see an angel, and an angel says, if you're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who is crucified, he is not here. He is risen. The one who was dead is now alive. The curse has been reversed. The deeper magic has been unleashed in the world. 
But the immediate reaction of the women is mixed. You see that in verse 18? It says they were trembling and bewildered, and they went out and fled from the tomb. Your version may have with trembling and astonishment, or with terror and amazement. Actually, like that, the best, terror and amazement, because I think it's closest to the original words in the Greek. The word traumas, where we get our word for trauma, and the word ecstasis, where we get our word for ecstasy. The women were traumatized and ecstatic, and that combination of emotions is, is, is a fitting response to having just experienced the greatest turning point in all of history. The women are traumatized, not in a, a negative or a permanent sort of way, but in the sense that they, they had just arrived at the tomb earlier full of grief and anxiety and sorrow. They're expecting to anoint the lifeless body of Jesus. And then all of a sudden, they encounter an empty tomb and news of a risen Jesus, and they're experiencing emotional whiplash, like their heads are spinning and they're in shock. What has just happened here? And at the same time, they're ecstatic, because could this possibly be true? I mean, is this what Jesus had been talking about all along? Have we really just witnessed the fulfillment of all our hopes and dreams? I think there are a few situations where you might experience that combination of trauma and ecstasy at the same time. I think uh, childbirth is one of them. Uh, for me, one of those situations is riding a roller coaster. Anybody with me on that? I mean, as, as the car clicks up the track, I'm, I'm thinking, what in the world have I done? Uh, and the car gets up to the top and starts tipping down that first big hill. And I'm like, oh my word, I'm going to die. This is the worst decision of my life. And as the car keeps going and the roller coaster gets exciting and there's that thrill and there's that ecstasy um, and, and you get to the end or I get to the end and I get off and I swear I am never doing that again. But of course I do because it was amazing. Uh, I was ecstatic. That combination of trauma and ecstasy, this is, this is what the women are experiencing. They're on this emotional roller coaster. And in their trauma and ecstasy, the women were, were feeling so much, they, they initially could not say a word to anybody. They fled from the tomb, not saying a word. But as the other gospel writers tell us, eventually they see the risen Jesus in the flesh. And all of their trauma and fear turns into unbridled, unfettered joy. And they begin sharing the news with the disciples, and they share it, and they share it. And a movement begins. One of the people who eventually saw the risen Jesus was named Saul. He initially opposed the news of resurrection. He was, he was killing Christians who were spreading news of resurrection. But then he encountered Jesus, and his name changed to Paul, and he became one of the biggest champions of the good, good news of Jesus of all time. And he wrote letters to the church. One of his letters to the church in Corinth, he writes, This is the gospel. This is the good news that Jesus died that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day. That's 1 Corinthians 15. And later in that chapter, he says, Because of that, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? God gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he writes, Therefore, my 
Dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. And those are my words to you this morning as well, friends. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Jesus is alive. And by faith, you have come alive in him. Therefore, stand firm. Let nothing move you from your faith in a risen Jesus. Don't let the coronavirus move you. Don't let this quarantine move you. Don't let your current circumstances, whether uh, you're discouraged or disoriented or perhaps uh, just bored, don't let it move you from a vibrant connection with a risen Jesus. As I pondered that this week, I was reminded of uh, the beautiful, wonderful African-American spiritual that goes, glory, hallelujah, I shall not be moved. Anchored in Jehovah, I shall not be moved. Jesus will, though all hell assail me, I shall not be moved. Jesus will not fail me. I shall not be moved. Though the tempest rages, I shall not be moved. On the rock of ages, I shall not be moved. Like a tree planted by the water, I shall not be moved. Sing it with me if you know it. I shall not be, I shall not be moved. I shall not be, I shall not be moved like a tree planted by the water. I shall not be moved. So friends, may God, who puts all things together, makes all things whole, who made a lasting mark through the sacrifice of Jesus, the sacrifice of blood that sealed an eternal covenant, who led Jesus, our great shepherd, up and alive from the dead, now provide you with everything you need, put you together, give you everything you need to please him, make us into what gives him most pleasure by the means of the sacrifice of Jesus, the Messiah. All glory to Jesus forever and always. Amen and go in grace.